0: with that um i just wanted to share this because it was it was a very it's been a great week uh, me and me and veronica celebrated uh nine years of marriage on tuesday so that was that was really cool and uh will we celebrated the week before because uh, she um helped out with uh, vbs out in fremont calvary and that was really cool just for kalos was able to go to and uh he was uh extremely blessed just to be a part of that and just to be around other kids that are in that same fold that are uh seeking the lord or they've already given their lives to jesus and i just want to share this because the lord had showed me once again that it's all about perspective i was able to go there friday and to take tears for uh for a little bit you know so she got a glimpse to see kind of what was going on and obviously got to talk to a bunch of Friends that I haven't seen in a while, Pastor Tim and all the other men that are there. And, um, you know, what was interesting about going into that last portion of worship and just all these kids. And like Michelle said, it's a it's, a, you know, a bunch of kids in in, in one big room. It's a, it's kind of smelly, <laughs> but it's a good smelly. You know, it reminds me of like, you know, like I don't know, like a junior high dance or something. You know, what I mean, minus, minus the cologne and, and the cheap cologne and all that stuff. But anyways, you know I'm in there, and I had remembered from earlier in the week um, Daniel had sent me um, some information, and I had read up on it, and uh, you know I was a, I was aware that these things were going on as far as um, uh, you know those who live a lifestyle of being a drag queen and them going into the public libraries and having their little sit down hour where they basically usher in the children and they try to tell them or they not even try they tell the children that. What they're doing is okay and they're saying that it's like a fairy tale and obviously we know they're indoctrinating them with demonic things and it's horrible it's not a good thing at all and there's actually uh, groups of people who are trying to ban these people from being able to be in the public libraries promoting this propaganda and all of this false uh, this false narrative this false truth uh, this satanic message uh, if you will because that's what it is and, and I read the article and obviously um it's like a righteous indignation right because i'm like lord i pray that these people would repent and that they would turn from their wicked ways and i felt like david in that sense because and then i also said i'm like lord if they if they don't repent you know break their teeth you know what they're doing uh is not good And, and obviously it falls back on the parents you know because any parent that would allow their child to be indoctrinated with that kind of stuff obviously the parent is not in their right mind they're trying to appease their peers by saying how liberal they are and how they all this whole oneness right we live in an age of plural pro pluralism excuse me where you have you're being pressured to accept every single thing around you no you can't judge them but the bottom line is this you you don't you don't need to be a rocket scientist to know it takes a man and woman to create a baby that's in the bible you don't create life with a man and a man or a woman and a man or a man dressed like a woman or a woman trying to be a man. And I'm not bashing on people. But the Lord has showed me clearly. I went on Friday to Fremont Calvary and you know what I saw in that, in that sanctuary, I don't know how many children were there. 80, 100 children? I don't know. But there was a lot of children there. There was a lot of young people there, young people on stage you know, being just super faithful witnesses. I mean, great role models, the greatest role models you could ever want for your children. They're teaching them about Jesus. They're teaching them about the word of God. And, you know, these worship songs, they're not necessarily traditional worship songs, but they're talking about God and they're praising Jesus. And these kids are screaming at the top of their lungs to the point where I was ready to, like, plug my ears. I'm like, man, you didn't blow my eardrum. These kids are so loud. And you've seen him dancing and you've seen him smiling. And, you know, the Lord revealed to me, once again, it's a matter of perspective. You know, I know Daniel meant no harm by sending me that information. And I'm grateful that you did send it, sir. And I read that information. But it was a matter of where am I going to keep my perspective, right? And the Lord refreshed my heart when I went there on Friday and I saw those children, you know. And, And the reality is this if the lord is our savior if jesus has called us if we see the heavy burden that's laid on us to raise up a younger generation we have to do our part every single one of us we have to do our due diligence to be the reflection of jesus christ to the world around us because you guys are uh smart people you're sensible people Satan is not stopping. Satan knows his hour is short. His time is coming. And so he is like a ravenous beast right now, trying to do all he can to take those away and trying to lead those astray. And so for us, I just want to encourage us to open our mouths, speak up. If God is for you, who can be against you? Amen. We need to we need to speak up. Amen. Right. It's so true. And that that's a praise to the Lord, because we have to if we don't pour into our children, the enemy is right there ready and willing to pour into them. And this is the reality is that the enemy is always going to be nipping at their heels. But if they have the word of God implanted in them, they're going to be able to counteract the attacks of the enemy with the word of God. But if we're not pouring the word of God into them, what do they have to fight with? They have nothing to fight with and they fall and we should be tired of seeing these generations of children fall time and time again. So it's that serious. It's that deep. We know we're on the winning team. We know the end. So um, it's a praise to the Lord because it's going to work out. We just need to do our part. Amen. All right. Uh, We're in Revelation chapter 15 this morning and uh, we'll be going through verses one down through eight. Uh, this this message, this message, excuse me, is entitled the seven angels with seven plagues. Oh, man. The more we get into the book of Revelation, it's just getting deeper and deeper. Uh, it's just bringing to light all of these things that you're seeing going on around you. And uh, again, the, 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 the question always remains, what side will we choose that's just the bottom line. Which side will we choose? But with that, uh, if you if you can stand for the reading of God's word, we'll, we'll go ahead and read the scripture and we'll pray and get into the message this morning. Revelation chapter 15, verses one down through eight. <clears throat> and it said, and this is the apostle John speaking. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw... What appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. Verse 3, and they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. After this, I looked and the sanctuary of the tent, Of witness in the heaven was opened, and out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues clothed in pure, bright linen with gold sashes around their chests. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord God, we thank you once again just for your mighty hand, Lord. You are unrivaled. You are true. You are just. You are holy. You are righteous. You are far from common. You live outside of space and time. You are great. You are to be magnified and glorified in everything we do. Thank you for the breath that you put in our lungs. Thank you that you allow us to partake in fellowship with you. Thank you that you're merciful upon us, Lord, and you don't allow your wrath to fall upon us, but you are just pursuing us, telling us every day, turn back to you to return to our first love. Father, may we take heed to the warnings that have been given to us, Lord. May, may we not be those that continue to walk down a wayward path, but may we walk in righteousness. Father, help us today in all things. Would you Give us the ability to rightfully divide your word through the power of the Holy Spirit. May you show us the importance of your scripture to our lives, that your word needs to govern every aspect, every area, cover every single decision we make. May we not take it lightly, for we will all be held accountable for the fact that we have no excuse. We know the truth. Father, help us to walk in it. In Jesus Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. All right, man. God is good. <laughs> God is good, and uh, you know they. You know it's always said you can't outgive God, and obviously you can't outgive God. You can't outgive God in anything. The more time, the more of yourself you give to God, the more He gives back of Himself to you, and the more joy you're filled with, and the more peace you're filled with, and the more insight and wisdom. He says, if you ask for wisdom, He's going to grant it. He's gonna grant you wisdom. He's gonna order your steps, so you're gonna know which way to go, which path to take at every turn. Maybe you're not gonna know and understand every single detail, but you're gonna get that little inclining. I was telling Kalos last night, like that spidey sense. I'm trying to do, you know, explain it to him in a way where he can understand. I said, you know, I, obviously, you know, Spider-Man is is is, is you know not real. But they get the, where do they get that from? Where do they get that whole premise of having a spidey sense to understand and know? Well, obviously, it comes from the Bible. It's the Holy Spirit. You ever, you've, we've all had those circumstances where you get that sense, I shouldn't be doing this or I should do this. You know, We're kind of unsure, but it's like it's nudging at you. Don't go there. Don't be with that person. Don't engage in that or go speak to that person muster up the courage in me to open your mouth and we need to be led by the Holy Spirit last week we looked at an in-depth view of sowing and reaping man that was a great time Um, it was a great time just studying and just getting a better understanding of what sowing and reaping really is uh, and how it applies to every area of our lives not only physically but most importantly spiritually the great harvest of the earth that will take place at the end of the age. We learn that sowing and reaping is an irrefutable law of God. Meaning, you don't have to believe in it. You're still going to sow and you're still going to reap. It doesn't matter. You can say, I, den- I denounce God. I deny God. You're still going to sow something every single day, throughout the day. Every decision we make is a seed that we're sowing And we are going to reap the harvest, whether that is something positive or negative from what we've sown. Every decision we make is affected by this sowing and reaping. Today, uh, as we get into chapter 15 of the book of Revelation, we are going to be introduced with the seven angels with the seven plagues. This chapter is a brief introduction to these final seven plagues, the finality of God's wrath. We won't get into a detailed account today of these specific plagues. We'll learn about that next week, Lord willing, in chapter 16. After these plagues are let loose upon those who continue to rebel against Jesus Christ, God the Father's righteous indignation or righteous wrath will finally be satisfied. And it will be the end, the end of, of, of pain and suffering, if you will. But there's going to be a lot that goes on with these seven plagues being unleashed upon this earth and the inhabitants of this earth. We have several main points. And the first one is this, though humans, some humans may think that there is no end in sight and that they can get away from God with the Lord. There is a finality. There is an ending to all things And there is closure. So there's some people that think, I don't see the end. (laughs) I don't see any, any consequences for my actions. I don't see any repercussions for what I do. With the Lord God Almighty, there is a finality. There is closure. There is an end to all things. You see, God created mankind with eternity in sight. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 tells us, He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. You see, even with Adam and Eve eating of that fruit, they still (laughs) cannot know all things. They still have that longing and that yearning, that eternal Peace that was built into them by God Almighty and only God can fulfill that eternal need that they have and that we have. You see, in every human soul, God has given the awareness that there is something more than this world. I'm sure we've all experienced that. Maybe at a younger age, maybe now, maybe now you're finally coming to the point where you're like, there's something more than this. This does not satisfy me deep within my being on the surface it can just like a cheap donut and a cup of coffee no 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 knock to what we serve here but <laughs> it doesn't satisfy for a moment you know but then what your physical body is craving real food i don't know some of us steak some of us bread i know we we get away from bread now right nobody wants to eat bread but back in jesus's day bread was a staple there you go maybe some of us steak but your body craves something more because that does not sustain you it doesn't fulfill you and it's the same thing with this world this world cannot fulfill the deep vital cravings that our souls desire and with that awareness of eternity comes the hope that one day we can find fulfillment not offered by the vanity of this world now you see every person whether they will acknowledge this or not, that we all have this same desire. It's just, it, just gets, it just gets buried under all kind of stuff and all kind of ideologies and all kind of ungodly thinking that it gets kind of suppressed. But every person has this base level desire for something more, for something greater than just what we see in this world. But you see, when sin entered into the heart of human beings through Adam and Eve's disobedience, this understanding and longing for eternity became corrupted and distorted. You see, ever since the fall of mankind in the Garden of Eden, humans have basically tried to live apart from God. We have. We simply have. You see, the immediate effects of how Adam responded to the Lord calling him, you know, Adam instead, he used to be in plain view. When when, when unhindered fellowship occurred with him and God and Eve and God, they were in plain view. There was no hiding. But when sin entered into their hearts, the first thing they they did was they hid. Well, why did they hide? (laughs) They hid because... They were trying to live without God. They were afraid before they were they they weren't afraid before they were naked and they were unashamed. I was talking to Kalos about this other day and he was tripping out. He was like, so you mean to tell me if there was no sin, I could walk around without no clothes on and I wouldn't be ashamed. I said, you're absolutely right, son. You would have been walking around. We would have been all walking around. You know, even the thought of that now. Like, I know that even saying that, that makes some of you feel uncomfortable. Just to think, like, what if we were all naked in this room, right? Because sin perverts things, and it messes it up, and we don't have a proper perspective of how things are supposed to be. And it's like, that's why we clothe ourselves now, because we're like, I'm ashamed. I don't want to, you know, and and it's, you know, it's crazy. It's crazy. It's so perverted that now you have some people that barely wear anything, and, 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 it, and it brings about an un, unhealthy, lustful appetite for, for people where you don't look at people as a human being, but you look at them as a way where they can fulfill a desire in you. And then so we have that and then you have modesty. But that all sprung about because of sin before it was never like that. And so we see that because sin entered their hearts, they hid because they were trying to live apart from God. When we hide from God, we are basically trying to live without him. When we don't acknowledge him, we don't, when we don't put him first in the forefront of our mind and our thinking, we are pulling an Adam and an Eve. We are literally trying to hide. We have clothes on, but we're trying to hide. Oh, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want to get in, in the word, or I don't want to get on my knees to pray to the Lord. Why? Because we're trying to hide. You know, what did God tell Cain Why do you look downcast? Why do you look so angry? If you were doing what was right, you would be okay. And see, that's the same thing with us. We wonder, why do I not want to get into the word of God? Why do I not want to go before God on my face? Why do I not want to attend a church service? Well, we don't do it because we're wrong. (laughs) But we have to understand, it's it's just a matter of perspective. If we would just, Turn back to him. He's like, man, I love you. (laughs) I want you to be a part of the full. I want you to grow in the fullness of what I have for you. But we have to come to that place where we acknowledge, Lord, help me. Lord, I'm weak. I love how Solomon acknowledged acknowledged his weakness. And it's crazy because you look at Solomon's life. He took way too many wives. And Moses told him. Moses told him. You take too many wives, your heart is going to turn. And that's exactly what happened in the end of his life, in his older years. He started worshiping false gods. But, you know, before that, Solomon acknowledged the fact that he was weak, that he could not lead the people of Israel. He could not govern them as their king without the Lord. And I think that's just so important for us today, wherever you're at, wherever I'm at. Just a simple acknowledgement that I need you, Lord. I need your guidance. I need your wisdom. I need your love. I need your strength. We acknowledge that, man. You're going to be off and running. You'll be good to go. But if we don't acknowledge that and we go our own way, again, the whole point is here living without God. You see, this kind of unclean thinking has been plaguing the human heart since the beginning of time. And Jesus Christ came to set the captives free, free from sin, free from death, free from spiritual bondage, from brokenness and shame. And to reconcile us to himself, to have the eternal view implanted within our hearts, corrected to have that view of eternity the right way so we can be recalibrated and understand the best place to be is the closest to God. You see, our society teaches, go alone. Do it your own way. You don't need God. You don't need Christianity. You don't need Jesus Christ. You can have all these other gods you want. You can just have money. You can just live secular. You don't even need God. Just be successful. You know, Back in the day, I just heard a message about this this morning. That's why God talked about he knows the numbers of the hairs on our heads. You see, back in the days of, uh, 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 of these ancient times, hair wasn't a big deal. You never had a bad hair day. You never did. That was the least of their concerns. And, you know, nowadays we're all about hair, hairdos, hairstyles, you know, but back then it wasn't a big deal. And that's what God was trying to say to his people back then and to us today. If he knows every single hair numbered on your head, something so insignificant, but he knows, then how much more does he care about what you really need? And your real, uh, your real desires, where, where, where you really need to be. You see, and that, that's the thing. We, we have to have the proper perspective, the proper view of how God sees us. A lot of us, we don't have the right perspective of how God sees us. And, the, and again, we have to understand the difference between being corrected by God, being disciplined by God, and, 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 and being condemned by Satan. You see, a lot of times we walk around in condemnation and we shouldn't because you've been forgiven, right? There's nothing that I can do. There's nothing that you can do that can render you justified before God in your own merit. So don't try to clean yourself up. If you've done wrong, you simply admit it to him. Mean it. Ask for forgiveness. Ask for help to walk with him and go. Right. But a lot of times we say we stay stuck And it's like days, weeks, months go by. And it's like, what happened? You were on fire for the Lord. Oh, well, you know, Proverbs 26, 14, I believe that is where it is. The righteous may fall seven times, but get back up. But one calamity is enough to destroy the wicked. I'm paraphrasing. You're righteous, not because of yourself, but the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. So when you stumble, when I stumble, get back up and keep pursuing righteousness. See, it's the wicked where one calamity comes upon them and they're done, they're crushed, they're destroyed. They cannot keep moving forward because they don't have the power of God resting upon their lives. But you as a believer in Jesus Christ do. And so, again, proper perspective, perspective is so important. When we walk around with the wrong perspective, we have the we have the power of the living God resting inside of us, the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And we're over here and we can't even talk to nobody. I mean, how asinine is that? (laughs) But God is still so gracious, you know, but it's time for us to start being a little bold, get a little gritty. (laughs) Right. Right. Get a little grimy, get a little, Get your elbows dirty and, and get in the game. Get in the game. Because like I said, you know, I prayed that prayer. Lord, break their teeth because, you know, I thought of my little children too. I know that they're not going to be, be put in that situation because me and Veronica ain't going to have it. My wife is a Sav. She ain't having it. But I pray for all those other little children. I'm like, I think about that. How can we let that happen? And that's what I'm talking about, about getting in the game. It's like, no, I have the power of the living God resting upon me. I need to be using that power and that strength and that love to be a witness to those around me so that they may see the truth and they may be saved and they may not be deceived by the deception of the enemy. Amen. So God gives us the opportunity to be saved. But all those who refuse his gift of salvation, they go their own way. And they do exactly that. They live on their own apart from God. They are in rebellion against the Lord God Almighty. You have to. All you have to do is think back or look back in the word. It's all in the word. But the Tower of Babel is a great example of people wanting to live apart from God. They tried to create a tower that would reach heaven. But why? Why would they do that? They wanted to do that because they wanted to prove to themselves that they could be like God, but by themselves. You see, on their own merit, with their own wisdom, with their own strength, with their own ingenuity. And this is what all people of every era have done who have never submitted to Jesus Christ as their Savior and their Lord. Well, in Chapter 15 of the book of Revelation, the way of living, that way of living and thinking will finally come to an end. You see, even though people who rebel against God think they will live forever without him and get away with it. It won't be so. God knows better. God knows best. There will be an end. There will be a conclusion to this rebelliousness within the human heart. And this is where the seven bold judgments of God come into play. The second main point is this, those who conquer Satan through the power of Jesus Christ and faith in him alone will praise God with the song only worthy of him. We've talked about this many times before, but once the eyes of your heart are truly open to the greatness of who God is and how merciful he has been to you, you can't help but praise him. I'm talking about real, serious, unadulterated conversion. Like, I don't care if your grandma ain't saved. She ain't convincing you that your salvation is not real. She's not convincing you that Jesus Christ didn't come into your heart and radically change you. You're like, I don't care who you are. I'm saved. I'm living for Jesus Christ. I'm talking about that kind of real raw daddy conversion. <laughs> Just the realness of what it is. You can't help but praise him. You see the art of singing is a beautiful means that God has created. Singing was truly meant as a way to praise God. I don't know if you, you go back, um, anyone who's into music like you know Old Town, all the old Motown you know uh, uh, bands and singers, but you know, a lot of those people that ended up doing secular music came out of the church. They were all, They were all raised in a Christian home or a Christian background, and somewhere along the lines, you know just the world bled into what they were doing and maybe the promise of, of success and money fortune and fame led them into the path to do music for the world which we know satan is the one that is in charge was in charge of, of of uh you know music in, in in heaven and so that's why there's a heavy, heavy demonic influence in the music industry today how it's been for many many years but we see that this true art of singing was meant and created to praise the Lord. But you see, even when we read of angels in heaven singing to the Lord, it was never meant to entertain themselves, but, but to bring honor and glory to God for who he is. Just look at the first few phrases of the song in our text this morning. It says, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. You see, in those statements, it's all about him. It's all about God. It's not about us. The lyrics are about God, not about the angels. I'll just put this out there. It's just an observation. You take it or leave it. But some have made this observation that newer songs written to praise and worship God are are actually, they actually have a lot of emphasis on the writers themselves. Now, this is the subject that's up for debate. I'm not saying that's true or it's not true. The bottom line remains praising God is all about praising him for who he is and what he has done. The book of Psalms is the praise book of the Bible, and it gives us hundreds of reasons why praising God is important, as well as examples of how to praise God. Looking at those reasons and examples, one thing becomes clear. As uh, Psalm chapter 92, verse one tells us, it is good to give thanks to the Lord to sing praises to your name, O Most High. You see, praising God is a great thing. It's a good thing. It helps take you your eyes off of you and your perspective and your circumstances and put your eyes on the Lord. And it can change your countenance from drab and down and depressed to be uplifted and grateful when you start praising God. You see, when we're... Down in the pits, we're not supposed to have a pity party. That's the very important time you're supposed to praise and worship the Lord. You are. And it's not because there's something wrong with your mind. There's actually something right in your mind. You're not praising him for the fact that you're in a sucky circumstance. You're praising him that despite your not favorable circumstances, he's with you in him and he's going to bring you through them. You see, if we don't even understand why we're praising God, then we're not going to praise that's why this whole thing of conversion having to be real has to happen because then we have the real understanding of why we should praise the Lord. Amen. It's pleasant. It's valuable. It's, and it's, more, it's morally excellent to praise the Lord. Psalm chapter 147 verse 1 tells us, For it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and a song of praise is fitting. When we consider the reasons why we should praise God, we find a list of his attributes. He is full of glory. He is great. He is wise. He is powerful and good. He is merciful and faithful and much more. I can't even, I can't, You don't even have enough fingers. (laughs) I'm like doing this and, you know, it it doesn't do it justice. The list of attributes is complemented by a list of his wonderful works. He is the one who saves us. He keeps his promises. He pardons sins. And he gives us our daily food, our daily bread. Matthew 4.4, 4, taken from uh, Leviticus, I do believe. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Our spiritual food is in Jesus. We need Jesus. We need to cling to him on a moment-to-moment basis. We need to have a love connection that's so strong with Jesus that it's just growing more and more in adoration of who he is. <clears throat> to try to list all the things God has done for us is impossible, but it is a wonderful exercise because, again, it turns our hearts back to him and keeps our, us mindful of how much we owe to him. We are bond servants. We should be bond servants to Jesus Christ. We're not forced to serve him. A bond servant willingly laid, lays down his rights and serves his master. Because he sees the importance of who his master is. And that's why in the scriptures you read of the the apostles that were bond servants to Christ. They willingly, you know, and Peter, he willingly gave up what he had. Many gave up what they had because they saw the importance of who Jesus Christ is. You see, praise is a vital part of a life surrendered to God and it gives credit where credit is due. Psalm chapter 107 verse 8 tells us, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. And that should be on our hearts every day. And the third main point is this, without God's invitation to come near to him, we simply can't. As the fires of judgment burn, the sanctuary in heaven is filled with smoke. The smoke arises from God's glory and power. From this time until the end of the tribulation, where the seven plagues end, no one is allowed to enter the temple in heaven. An event similar to one described in this verse occurs after Moses had finished work, building the tabernacle and furnishing it. Exodus chapter 40 verses 34 and 35 tell us, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the clouds settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Similarly with, Mo, uh, with Solomon dedicating the temple, the same thing in Second Chronicles, chapter seven verses one through two. Fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. You see, without God's gracious invitation to draw near to him, no human being would ever be able to survive the glory of his presence. So you think about that in contrast to the fact that he's ushering you to himself. (laughs) Not only just today, not only just this moment, but throughout the week. He's saying, come to me, calling you by name. I know you hear that still small voice that's saying, get up. Get up and do whatever he's calling you to do. You know, we all say we want to know His well. Well, get in His Word. He's like, spend, spend, this, spend this precious time with me. Spend this precious time. I'm trying to teach this to my children every day. If you put Jesus Christ first, everything else is going to work out. But if you give Him the scraps of your time, I don't care what you do. It's not going to work out. Even in the bad days, if you put Christ first, You are going to benefit. I am going to benefit so much more. But it's a matter of priority. What and who is the priority of our lives? If we are saints of God, then our priority must be Jesus Christ above everything, above my desires, above my dreams, above my hopes, above my wishes, above even my family. See, that's a big one for us. You know, because a lot of times family's everything. If we put Jesus Christ in his proper perspective, you're still going to love your family. You're going to love your family the right way with putting God first, then your family. See, a lot of times we get it mixed up. We put family first, then we make time for Jesus. And he's like, nah, 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 that don't work. We have to have the proper perspective, saints. But he loves you that much that even though... The temple is filled and people, no one will be able to enter until the plagues are done. That's the whole point. (laughs) Is that he's ushering you now. He's saying, come, come. We just sang about it. Come, come as you are to worship the true and living God. Not just in this building, but in your life and everything you do. Amen. All right. Let's look at these verses. Don't worry. It won't not be too long, but we need a proper background so we understand what we're getting into. If I was just to rush into these verses, it's pointless. It really is. It's pointless. We have to have the proper framework to understand what we're dealing with. Okay, verse 1. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last. For with them the wrath of God is finished. Oh, praise God for that. (laughs) No more. No more. Well, first off, we see he saw another sign speaking of the Apostle John in heaven. It was great and amazing. Revelation chapter 14, what we just went over a couple weeks back, seemed to describe the consummation of all things ending with the battle of Armageddon. But now John will go back and describe God's judgment in more detail. This idea of stating and restating in more detail is common with prophecy and with Hebrew literature in general. This is kind of how they would write. Um, All you have to do is just look at Genesis chapter one one. It says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Then in Genesis chapter two, verse seven, it says, then the Lord formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living creature. Also in Genesis chapter two, verses eight through twenty five. I won't read it, but we all know that this is the account of God uh, planting a garden in Eden and Adam's responsibilities, also about the river that flowed from Eden. It's split into four rivers. Also, the portion that speaks of the creation of Eve. The application is simply this, as students of the Bible, we benefit from prophecies being expounded upon within the scriptures. The Lord touches upon things he wants us to get a better understanding of. Uh, You just have to look at the Gospels, for example, in the New Testament. They're similar in this way. Each gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all speak of the same events, but from a different vantage point. Scott, you're a football guy, right? It's like different camera angles of a football game, especially nowadays. You get horizontal, right? Sideline to sideline, you know, end zone to end zone view. You get the vertical view, up and down. You get the end zone, straight from the end zone view. You get drone views now, you know, all I see is Sunday night football and, you know, you see the, you know, they go by the huddle and you're like, wow, man, they're super close. I see like dude's got a hairy neck. I mean, they get in there. But remember, these are just different viewpoints of the same football game. And we have that vantage point with scripture. They're they're, they're different vantage points of the same accounts that went on. You see, remember, we already saw what seemed to be the end in Revelation chapter 6, verses 12 down through 17. I'll read it real quick. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll You see, we've already heard this, but John is going back now and he's expounding upon these things that are happening. The same material, but in greater detail. This reminds us that the book of Revelation is not strictly chronological in its arrangement. Next, we see seven angels having seven last plagues. This idea is also in Leviticus chapter 26, verse 21. And God is warning, saying, Then if you walk contrary to me, I will not... And will not listen to me, I will continue to strike you sevenfold for your sins. Man, that's um that's just hard to read. I mean, that 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 stands for us today, too, right? That should strike that reverent fear in us to honor God with our lives. This is what I'm talking about. Well, not me. This is what the Bible is talking about. He's saying straight up: if you and I walk contrary to God, and if we choose not to listen to God he will continue to strike us <laughs> with that righteous indignation with a righteous holy stick sevenfold for our sins isn't it bad enough to just suffer onefold for your sins but then to have to be stricken seven times the completeness because we choose not to repent you see what you see you understand why it's so important for us to get right with god And have a clear line, a 5G connection with the Lord. So that we're just, there's nothing hindering you and your walk with God. I mean, you benefit so much from just turning to Him. You you can have real peace, real joy. And it doesn't matter about your circumstances. But you can know and trust that the Lord God loves you. He's keeping you. He's caring for you. He's going to bring you through. Because I don't see anywhere in the Bible where it says, coming to Christ, you're not going to suffer. That's just not in the Bible. That's a false teaching. You come to Jesus, he's building you up so that you will be able to stand in the season of suffering in your life. It's not peachy keen, but God will see you through, amen? Amen. And that's why we have to have a clear connection with him so that when those times of suffering come and it's not because you did anything wrong, but you're honoring God. And you're still going to be able to stand and you're going to be OK. All right. So scripture says, for in these seven last plagues, the wrath of God is complete. I may need your help with this, Daniel. My pronunciation's not the best. <laughs> the ancient Greek word for wrath is thymos. As was the case in Revelation chapter 14 verse 10, there are two words for wrath or anger in biblical Greek. Thymos, a violation or passionate anger, or excuse me, a violent violent, excuse me, yes, violent or passionate anger, or orgie, is that pronounced correctly? O R G E? Anger anger from a settled disposition. This is the place where God's anger flashes hot. Okay, this word orgy is the more common word for God's anger in the New Testament. "Thymos" is used only 11 times and 10 of the 11 are here in the book of Revelation. So we see how serious this is. This is the book that reveals the judgment of God against a Jesus-rejecting world. But praise God that he says that with these final plagues, his wrath is complete the word complete in again in the ancient greek means to reach an end or an aim the application is this here the hot wrath of god will fulfill an eternal purpose you see this isn't god just blowing off steam this is what an unrighteous people will deserve for choosing to still Remain unrepented, and so he's saying basically, I'm giving you over to what you want, and this is what you're going to have. You see, going to hell is not a party; it's not Animal House. It is suffering, it is sorrow, it is rejection, all in the presence of God. It's like it's like the man who tried to ask for it: "Can I just get a little bit of water?" It's like, no, you can't get no relief, man. Seeing Jesus in the presence of Jesus and being in torment. You ain't going to get no relief and that's eternal it never ends so you're always going to be thinking i could have should have would have but i didn't the biggest decision we all have to make in life is who is jesus christ to us and if we answer wrong we'll be in torment for eternity and he doesn't want that and that's why he's like come to me now while there's time we're still in the dispensation of grace and praise god for the government in America making some wise decisions in the last week or so, I attribute that to Christians praying all across this country and actually standing up for truth. And, um, you know, as we talk about in prayer, we don't know if it's going to usher in another revival or just, you know, some grace before the end comes. But either way, praise God that, you know, there's still sensible people left in this country that are making wise choices. Amen. All right. <clears throat> Back to uh, Revelation 15, verse 2. It says, and I saw... In What appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire and also those who had conquered the beast in its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. So he said he saw something like sea, a sea of glass, but this is mingled with fire. This may be a reminder of the fires of judgment. The sea is designed to reflect the glory of God. In chapter four, its description Uh, like unto crystal speaks of the holiness of God. Here the sea mingle with fire speaks of divine judgment proceeding from God's holiness. You see, because many of the images in this chapter are connected with the book of Exodus, some simply see this as an indication of the color red with an indirect reference to the Red Sea and the deliverance of the people of Israel from bondage. Also in this chapter, we see plagues, Moses, the tabernacle and the cloud of God's glory. This chapter ultimately shows the final Exodus, the freedom of God's people from a sinful and persecuting world. Next, we see the statement, those who have victory over the beast. These are those who were victorious over Satan through their faithfulness unto death. They are the tribulation martyrs described in Revelation chapter seven, verses nine down through 17. Um, They are not those who survived the tribulation. As much as we can discern, or we can figure out from some sort of chronologic uh, chronological order from Revelation, which is difficult in our text, in our text here, we are still very much in the tribulation. The bold judgments still await. So even though the Antichrist kills them, they still have victory over the beast, and they are not losers. Remember, also throughout the early church, those. Constantly describe the day of martyrdom as a day of victory. And I mean, you can read so much of, you know, uh, church uh, saints uh, of God in the past who had just died horrendous deaths. I mean, being burned at the stake, being, you know, cut up and chopped up. And, you know, even go back to the apostles, the fact that, you know, Peter got crucified upside down. I mean, they, did, man, they went through a whole lot, but they considered it a day of victory because, again, The Bible speaks of have a reverent fear for the one who can destroy your physical body and also send you to hell, not the one that only could take your your physical body. Right. Um, And that's the thing. That's the big thing. And I heard a message about this this morning. That's the big thing is death. You know, we we're like, and it's okay. It's okay to be afraid of it. But Jesus goes on to tell us perfect love casts out all fear. Don't be afraid of what physical death can do, because in a blink of an eye, you're going to be taken from this life into his presence and so you need not be fearful and left paralyzed but what but what satan can try to do to you at best all he could do is take your life but he can never take your eternal soul he can never take you from heaven to hell your eternal resting places with god almighty forever and ever in eternity that never ends with so much greater so much farther than this and we know eternity is real I mean, there's, there's just too many accounts, not only just from the Bible, but people's personal experiences. I love watching true story movies of just like, man, this person went through this, this person went through that. Oh, that's so crazy, Lord, how'd you allow that? Why'd you allow that to happen? But he got glory from it. And so when we see these things over and over and over again, that should just build your faith, grow your faith, strengthen your faith, to trust that God is real and he is who he says he is, and he's gonna do what he promised to do. He made a promise. He never breaks his promise, amen? He always keeps his promises. Standing on the sea of glass. The ancient Greek word for this, for on, excuse me, is epi, and it can mean on, over, or beside. Many believe that In the architecture of heaven, the sea of glass is actually a physical representation of the word of God, connecting the idea of the tabernacles, laver, and the washing of the water by the word. Remember, um, husbands are instructed to love their wives. This is an example of how Jesus Christ loves his bride, the church. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So I think it's safe to say that these saints are standing upon the word of God. They're standing upon the word of truth. And we see that they have harps of God. The only people seen with harps before were the 24 elders. Revelation chapter 5 verse 8 tells us, And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and the golden bowls full of incense, <clears throat> incense, which are The prayers of the saints. These tribulation martyrs are given the blessing of worshiping God with music in heaven. Praise God, there's gonna be music in heaven. You know? I'm like, you know how boring that would be? Ain't got no music. I'm like, man. Why should the devil have all the good music? There you go. Why should he have all the good music? And that's why it's okay to praise God like that. You know, remember David danced himself out of his clothes. Praising the Lord. Now, don't go rolling around here getting all crazy and, you know, running and doing laps. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I'm just saying. But, you know, David, he danced himself out of his clothes. All right. We're almost done, folks. Three and four, it says. And then they sang the song to Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God, the Almighty! Exclamation point. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear O oh Lord, and glorify your name for you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you for your righteous acts have been revealed. They sing the song of Moses. Only one song is sung, but this song goes by two titles, the song of Moses and the song of the lamb. The two titles refer to a single song. Here is a perfect union between law and love, between the old covenant and the new covenant. The application is simply this. This again clarifies the fact that we need both the Old and New Testaments. We need the whole Bible. You can't just have one without the other. They are very important. The law of Moses is our tutor teaching us we need Jesus Christ. We can't keep the law with our own effort. But Jesus Christ fulfills the law, making us justified when we put our trust in him alone. You see, this song Deeply is deeply rooted in the Old Testament. It gives praise to, one, God's work. It says, great and marvelous are your works. Two, God's ways. Just and true are your ways. Three, God's worthiness. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. And four, God's worship. All nations shall come and worship before you. Notice lastly these words. Your, your, you, your, you, you, your. You see, these martyrs' focus was solely on God. They didn't even focus on their own costly and glorious victory. The fact that they had been killed, right? See, the world will say, oh man, you got killed. You're, you know, you're, you're, we, the world will prop you up. But see, they are like, no. I, I, I died, but I died for my Lord because He is worthy, and that's what their focus is on. They have a heart of true worship, understanding that it's all about God and not about themselves. And today, can we say the same about ourselves? Is it all about God, or is it all about us, or is it mostly about God and we're in there a little bit? You know, I'm not going to lie; I, I wrestle with that all the time. The Lord is constantly having to deal with me, and like Keithing, it's not about you. I'm constantly having to be humble. That's okay. He's purging things out of me. But we, we gotta make it all about him. It's all about Jesus and not about us. Amen. Alright, five and six. It says, After this I looked, and the and the sanctuary of the tent uh, of witnesses in heaven was opened, and out of the sanctuary came seven angels with seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen with gold sashes around their chests. Okay. The temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven. Um, Exodus chapter 25, verses 8 and 9, and Hebrews chapter 8, verse 9, reminds us that the tabernacle God told Moses to build was based on a heavenly pattern, okay? The temple of the tabernacle refers to the heavenly reality of the tabernacle, not an earthly copy, This is something that we can't see, but he fashioned it on earth as a representation of what would it be in heaven. Exodus chapter 25, verse 8 and 9. I got to read that. It says, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture, so you shall make it. And then Hebrew chapter 8, verse 9 tells us, Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant. And so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. Now, the beautiful thing about Hebrews chapter eight is that it goes on to tell about how Jesus Christ will establish a new covenant. And this is what we are looking forward to. It says for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now, and that, that's, see, the good thing is, even, you know, with all the ites, the Jebusites, the Moabites, the, you know, all, all those people, you know, back then in the Old Testament, God opened up to them as well. You know, we got to understand it. it's, it's just such a trip when you just start getting in the word and you start doing these, these studies and you come to find out that like, man, you know, Jesus, actually there, there was somewhere where, you know, a, a Moabite woman is part of Jesus's lineage, you know, and even as wicked as those people were, you see like, man, it's so all connected. But God was like, you know what? All of you come back to me and be reconciled to me. But when they chose to say, no, no, we just want our false gods. We want to do our own thing. We don't want to worship a God that's invisible. We have visible gods. Well, he's like, OK, well, then you're going to go ahead and, and, and reap the consequences of doing that choice. But the same thing is for us today. We are grafted in. So when we look at this, I know that it's specific to the Jewish people. But if you are reconciled to Jesus Christ, you are grafted into the vine. And this is for you as well. Right. This is for you as well. He, he declares you his and he will put his law in your mind and he will write them on your hearts and he will be your god and you will be his people out of the temple come the seven angels having the seven plagues okay these are angels these are angels bringing god's judgment it is significant that they came directly from the heavenly temple from the presence of the throne of god you see because they don't they do not act on their own authority but god's authority Pure bright linen, speaking of what they're wearing, their chest girded with uh, golden uh, bands or sashes. Uh, Their clothing is a reminder that God's judgment is always completely pure and righteous. They are not like any modern day hero or or vigilante who will sink down to the level of whoever they're fighting, right? And so this is the thing. People will say, well, if God's so good, how how come he would do that? How come he would make this happen? It's because it's a righteous judgment. It's a righteous judgment. And I don't even want to go into it because it's I, it's a whole nother message. But when you look back at when um, David's first son with Bathsheba, right, the baby died. People say, I hate you we all hate when children die. But you see, because David did what he did with Bathsheba, that baby dying was a judgment on David. And that's what you will learn as you study the scripture. And it's actually when you, God is sovereign, he knows all things. Maybe it had been better. It, well, actually, I will say it. I'll be bold and say it. It was better for that baby to die than to grow up and live. And who knows what would have happened because the scriptures say the sword would never leave David's home because of what David did. Look at all the dysfunction in David's family because of what he did with all of his children and what they were doing. And so that baby, by the hand of God, was taken from this life, but it was to show David's look. You better get right with me because this is a cause of what you did. Man, it's crazy. Woo! Scripture. I mean, I'm telling you. You want real drama? Man, just get in the word. You don't need no Agatha Christie. You don't need no you don't need no CSI. You just need to get up in this word. You don't need no Chicago fire, whatever that nonsense is. Get in the word of God. You will be blown away. A couple of weeks ago we were talking about when, you know, the the, the mothers had to cook their babies or eating their babies and I mean, what in the world, Lord? This stuff was going on. And it's all because of the righteous judgment of God. Because if we don't return, remember, he said sevenfold. I'm going to bring on you. But see, the other side of it is you obey, right? We want to focus on the good stuff, right? You obey sevenfold. Man, he's going to bless you. The presence of the Lord is going to be on your life. The joy, the peace. I'm not talking about stuff. I'm talking about him. You having him, you being so aware of his presence in your life, man, nothing's going to be able to touch you. That's if you stay obedient. That's if I stay obedient. Man, I want to be obedient for the Lord. You know, no evil will befall you. He'll make your path straight. You're like, eh, eh, eh. I know which way to go because the Lord is directing every single step I take. All right. Last two verses, seven and eight. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Okay, the seven golden bowls. Now, we got to get a picture of this because these bowls were actually broad and, and flat bowls or saucers used ritually for drinking or for pouring libations and sacrifice they they wouldn't be what you and i would think of as a bowl today you know our bowls are deep (laughs) they're broad it's not that at all the contents of such a shallow bowl were quickly and easily and completely poured out and that's for good reason because his judgment was going to come quickly That's the whole reason for the bowl being shallow. The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. When the cloud of glory fills the temple in heaven, no one can enter. It was the same when Moses could not enter the tabernacle when the smoke of the cloud of God's glory, sometimes called the Shekinah glory, filled the tent. Exodus chapter 40 verses 34 and 36 tell us, then the cloud covered the tent of the meeting And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle and Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle throughout all their journeys. Whenever the cloud was taken up over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. So filled with smoke from the glory of God, from his power, both the bowls and the cloud come from the glory of God and from his power and the application is this and I'll end with this last statement as Isaiah and uh, Michelle come up when they're ready. This is a reminder of God's special presence and glory even in the midst, <clears throat> excuse me, even in the midst of devastating judgment. I think back to when Cain killed Abel. You see, even though Cain would suffer the consequences of no fellowship with God, and much difficulty producing a harvest from the ground, the Lord still put a hedge of protection around him so that if anyone killed him, they would be murdered as well. You see, in a sense, even in God's righteous judgment of Cain's action, we still see God's power and glory in his midst. That's the merciful God we serve. The fact that Cain killed that innocent blood and God said, I don't want you to die like that. I'm going to put a hedge of protection around you. Again, no one was able to enter the temple until these seven plagues of the seven seals was completed. This, took, this declares that this judgment is irreversible. Nothing could hinder it any longer because access to the temple in heaven would no longer be denied after this happens. And We are looking forward to this day when final judgment will be rendered and true peace True love, true joy, true justice will be rightfully restored. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, Lord, thank you for for your word. Lord, thank you that everything that we need to understand and know is found in your word. All we have to do is dive in. Lord, we need to feast upon your word on a daily basis so that we may be strong in you. We don't want to be malnourished (coughs) Christians anymore. We want to be those that are full of life, that are full of love, that are full of wisdom, all from you, that we may go before you and be a blessing to those around us. So, Father, please, would you make that happen? Do that work in our hearts that only you can do. Light a fire in us, Lord, and a fervent, fervency to hunger for righteousness. Lord, we thank you and love you. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.